0: Hi, this is Jeff Vandermeer, the author of Annihilation, and you're listening to Booked.
1: Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm
0: Livius Nedden. Uh, This week we're reading something I've been looking forward to... God, when did we have Jeremy Robert Johnson on? Uh, Sometime in 2012, I think. Yeah. We talked a little bit about it then, I believe. And um, I don't remember if that was actually on the air or not, but... um, uh, Skullcrack City. So this is... uh, Thus far this year, and I understand it's only the first week of February, this is my most highly anticipated book of this year, (laughs) so uh, uh, here's a little bit about Jeremy Robert Johnson. He is the Wonderland award-winning author of We Live Inside You, the cult hit Angel Dust Apocalypse, the Stoker-nominated novel Siren Promised with Alan M. Clark, and the -the end-of-the-world freak-out Extinction Journals. His fiction has been acclaimed by authors like Chuck Polinick and Jack Ketchum and Rob Olson and Livia Snedden and has appeared in numerous anthologies and magazines. In 2008, he worked with the Mars Volta to tell the story behind their Grammy winning album, The Bedlam in Goliath. In 2010, he spoke about weirdness and metaphor as a survival tool at the Fractal 10 conference in Medellin, Colombia, where fellow speakers included DJ Spooky. <laughs> An MIT bioengineer and a doctor who explained the neurological aspirations of a sponge. Jeremy also runs the indie publishing house Swallowdown Press and is at work on a host of new books.
1: For more information, www.jeremyrobertjohnson.com I'm going to challenge one thing. I think it's Medellin, Colombia. Okay, I'm cool with that. I think there's a little bit of an accent, accent, accent to yeah, it. That's cool. Right, listen, how many Colombians do you think are listening right now? I mean, if you look at our download stats, there's some, okay. <laughs> probably a couple at least. Sorry, Colombians, love the neckties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could have gone with coffee, or I don't like really. Colombian coffee. <laughs>
0: Sorry, now I went ahead and offended. See, you couldn't have just let me go. I said something nice. <laughs>
1: Is it really all right? Am I misinterpreting? Is it the necktie that I'm thinking of? I
0: don't know. (laughs) They have some
1: necktie thing. All right, let's leave it at that then. Yep. All right. Uh, (laughs) Here's the. um, I need to compose myself. Here is the synopsis from uh, the Lazy Fascist website. You weren't always an agent of the apocalypse. You used to be a banker who knew that too much coffee and a few bad decisions would lead to the end of the world. Life as a corporate drone was killing S.P. Doyle, so he decided to bring down the whole corrupt system from the inside. But after discovering something monstrous in the bank's files, he was framed for murder and trapped inside a conspiracy beyond reason. Now, Doyle's doing his best to survive against a nightmare cabal of crooked conglomerates, DNA-doped mutants, drug-addled freak show celebs, experimental surgeons, depraved doomsday cults, and the ultra-bad mojo of a full-blown hexadrine habit. Joined by his pet turtle, Deckard, and Dara, a beautiful missionary with a murderous past, Doyle must find a way to save humankind and fight the terrible truth at the heart of Skullcrack City.
0: You know, I always talk about how I don't read the synopsis, and (laughs) you pretty much don't read the synopsis, right? Yep. I'm going to start reading the fucking synopsis, and this <laughs> book is the reason why. Now, here's the impression I had going into this book, is um oh, if somehow I got in my head that it's a crime book. And when I say that, not that it's not a crime book, but I got the feeling it was a very kind of straight crime book. Does that yeah. make sense?
1: Yeah.
0: Um And that's not the case <laughs> at all. And it's... Uh, it catches you a little off guard when you're expecting one thing and you get this this book.
1: <laughs> this, I mean, like, even if you read, I'm going to go ahead and say that even if you read the synopsis, I mean, you'd be better prepared, but it's got such a unique personality to it that, that you're going to get a little bit jangled no matter what. At least that's what I think. Jangled. Jangled is probably a good way to, to say that. Jangled. So, um,
0: and I want to talk about the real, really beginning of the book. Let's talk about the start of the story. Um, we have Doyle, who is, it's how he's referred to through the course of the book, mostly by his last name. He's kind of doing his thing um, in the near future, working in the banking world, where he understands that banks are, um, are, are a plague and a virus upon humanity. <laughs> um, so he works for, for a, a bank of the near future, and he's kind of figured out that he wants to make it his um his life's mission to uh, to take down the bank. Now he comes to this conclusion pretty much while well high on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and and as any drug addict might tell you, you'll always do things better if you have more drugs. And then as you have more drugs, you kind of become a little more crazed, and you can see how this starts to snowball into. You know, and then you get more drugs, and then you become more. You know, so, so what we see is um, Doyle's starts out pretty much with the, with his descent into madness. Is that is that a fair way to to say it?
1: I'd say so. Like at the very beginning of the book, he's pretty lucid and level, um, but he's already an addict. But he's at kind of a cycle. I feel like the book kind of went through cycles, like like um, not cycles, but but almost in stages. And, and at the beginning, the stage he was at was like a functioning addict. Like he wasn't in any kind of full blown like binge of drugs or anything like that. He was he was probably as lucid as we could expect to have seen the character. Um, but then something he gets a promotion at work. This is the uh, the catalyst for his change. And the promotion at work at the bank basically makes him kind of like a. a comp- like a compliance auditor, officer or yeah. like an analyst or something that basically he uh, criticizes the work of, of his coworkers to make sure that it's up to snuff for, you know, being legally compliant and all that kind of stuff, more or less. Um, but to a person with a probably pretty typically paranoid personality who has a drug problem, um, the new position feeds into his want for. Like to find a conspiracy almost. Um, so he, <laughs> at work, uh, you know, starts digging into things, but then starts an off the books kind of investigation of his company as well to try to find the corruption. And, and, and ultimately, like Livia said, comes to the conclusion he wants to bring the company down. But in order to, to be as good as he can, he needs to get the drugs, which he hasn't scored in a while. So, um, he kind of sets out to reestablish connections with, um, you know, a drug dealer that he had a falling out with. And um, so, while it probably wasn't very long since the last time he like you know went out and bought drugs, it's almost like he's kind of starting over. So, there's a little bit of tension of going back to where he used to go all the time, and. If the person that he used to buy from wasn't there, how's he gonna, you know, how's it gonna work and stuff like that?
0: Yep. So, needless to say, he finds more drugs, <laughs> and the investigation continues um, all the time. He only has one friend in the whole world, Deckard, who is uh, who's a turtle. <laughs> so he doesn't have a lot of friends in the world. He basically works and goes and home and takes care of this turtle. But now he's gonna do this while he's high on headron which is the the drug of uh, uh the the drug that's very prominent in this story and um I don't know did you get a feeling specifically hexadron was kind of like I don't know maybe like a like a focusing drug I guess I don't know that I really ever got what the effect of hexadrin was
1: um I mean obviously it, it was made up for the book but um it kind of for me I had the impression it was kind of like either halfway between, like, meth or, like, Adderall, like you're saying, like mm-hmm. a focusing and ener- – well, Adderall would be focusing, and meth would be more ener- energizing, I guess, but also with, like, kind of a Viagra side to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's – yeah, I forgot all about that. Yes, there's There's definitely – could you forget? Uh, you know, I think I forgot that that was a cause of the drug more <laughs> oh, than okay. forgetting that, that Dick Twisty is at one point <laughs> – and his name
1: he's, is Crooked D. Yeah,
0: he's, he has several <laughs> names that he goes by through this book, all of them relating to his uh, his manhood, which has been mangled from uh, from over-self-use. Uh,
1: I have quotes that support that, so we don't have to describe it too much now. Um, yeah, Hexadrin basically, uh, at least the effects that... Our most important in this book and to our our protagonist is the... um, It it makes you, like Olivia said, hyper-focused and um, you just, like, you don't sleep. And I think it probably plays a little bit into paranoia, but there's, like, a dark side that you learn about later on to the drug, too, which is really where things get a little bit weird. Yeah. I'm actually going to roll a quote out now because I think it... um...
0: This is from 3% in the books. is definitely not spoiler, but I think it really kind of sums up what we've been talking about for the last few minutes. Um, I'm going to start kind of mid-paragraph here. Um, so it is all written first person, but this is kind of his internal dialogue at this point. I'm going to clean up this bank, and if I can't, I'm going to take it down from the inside. Now, if you go back to the prior statements and change clean up this bank to fall into a state of deep acquiescent hopelessness followed by fits of drug-addled paranoia and take it down from the inside to place my life in immediate danger by stealing a serious chunk of money using a weakness in their general ledger database, you'd end up much closer to the truth.
1: I like that I like that uh, approach of the you know say this, really mean this kind of thing. He mm-hmm. did that several times throughout the book. It was it was clever. That, that's so this is really really well written because the whole <laughs> page
0: before that is something I had marked and I'm not going to cover it, but it's the whole He talks about, in in a very small space of time, how he got to this point and the fuck it, why not, which recurs through the book, but it's kind of the first introduction. Mm -hmm. So he talks about meeting this beautiful girl, you know, blah, 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 fuck it, why not? She asked me to do this, fuck it, why not? And that's basically how he gets to the the point where he's at. And it's all a history of of Doyle's
1: recent life, but it's compacted into like four paragraphs. Yeah. I have a a quote about the uh, effects of the drug as well. This is more the masturbation side of it, because, of course, that's what I highlighted. Well, I was going to say, yeah, of course. (laughs) You might be so obsessed with stimulating your all-steel sure strike hammer that one night you come, and all that erupts from your dick is a puff of what appears to be dehydrated milk particles, which drift slowly down to your abdomen like the saddest first snow of winter. (sighs)
0: That's good stuff right there.
1: Like, uh, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. Anyway... (laughs) Back to the story.
0: So, um, I don't. Know. We have to get a little further into the story because up until now, it just sounds like what I thought it was. You know, guy with a drug problem, taking down the big guy, right? No, no, no. Um, Doyle, <laughs> the, I'm sorry.
1: I was gonna say. Then the brains start disappearing. Yeah, exactly.
0: So <laughs> gonna. I wasn't even gonna mention the brains disappearing. To be honest, that just wasn't even like a like a thing. He um he he does make contact with some some drug dealers and we find out that guys who who vend Hexadrin, who sell it um, kind of belong to a really weird group like it it's not it's not like pot or or cocaine or heroin where just anybody with a few bucks can buy it and kind of like resell it uh, the suppliers um, only provide it to a very select few and it seems to be more it it's very hard to get because there are very few kind of authorized dealers. Um, but he finds these guys and, and he convinces them that, that he's legit mostly because of, of his, his very damaged manhood is how they know that he's a hex junkie, that he used to get hex, like that he's not an undercover cop or anything weird like that, that he used to get it from this other guy who's not around anymore. Um, but it doesn't take long because the bank is also on to him, you know, through his, you know, obviously he's not uh, functioning very well on all the drugs and stuff. So he starts to act suspicious and the bank is kind of following him and this all culminates in his encounter with a, I don't know, weird kind of gorilla-sized monstrosity that, that attacks him while he's uh, he's looking to purchase more uh, more Hex.
1: Yeah, bet you didn't know there were monsters in this book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, what just happened? Now, uh, yeah, um, and this isn't too far into the book that this happens, but... Um, it's his encounter with what I guess you would find out um, eventually is called a Skullcracker. cracker, and um, it's just kind of like one of those uh, titles that the the news has applied to something that they don't know what's, you know, just based on the aftermath of like finding a body without a brain. That's kind of what they've they've dubbed it, uh, but it's some sort of monster that. Um, for reasons that aren't clear to most people especially us in the beginning um, when they attack people kind of just completely removes their brain yeah and he's uh, about to be the next victim of the
0: Skullcracker and he is uh he is mysteriously rescued um, by by some people um, one of them being Dara who's mentioned i believe in the synopsis um, and that's how he becomes part of uh part of her life, or how she becomes part of this story, Dara, and do you remember the, the guy's name? I think it's just Tim. Yeah, Dara and Tim. Um, so they save him, and they, they, they take him back to uh, to their place to fix him up, and that's really where he starts to Understand that there is a much bigger story lurking underneath than the the bank just funneling, you know, uh, you know, screwing around with money and, and doing the things that he thought he was going to bring them down for. That this is a much much bigger, multifaceted, multi-dimensional problem <laughs> um, than he he anticipated.
1: Yeah, and so. Uh, <sighs> That's probably the most we could really go into as far as story goes without wandering into really reeling things. That it's nice mm-hmm. to just kind of learn on your own. Um, but yeah, it just becomes uh, this ragtag group of people, some like hopelessly addicted to this drug, um, trying to, uh, you know, as time goes on, you know, obviously survive, but also trying to figure out how to stop some very bad stuff from happening. And so he goes from. This kind of really self centered person who just for very you know, just personal he doesn't really have a moral reason that he's trying to take down his bank. It's just what he decided he wants to do because he's been he's been a yes man for so long that he's just tired of it and uh he just decides that, you know, instead of just keeping on going on forever, he's gonna take down that's his thing, he's gonna take down the bank. But he goes from that kind of just selfish Spiteful personal cause to actually like fighting a bad guy, uh, with, with these other people. So, and it gets really weird. There's like some skull eating people. The whole drug thing gets, t- t- takes a really weird turn and it, it mm-hmm. goes into a very supernatural, uh, direction. Um, but like fucking incredibly well written and just really entertaining the whole time. Yeah. This,
0: this book is, um, not only is it not a crime book, you know, at parts you want to say, oh, this book's bizarro, but it's not just bizarro. It's kind of science fiction-y, but it's not just science fiction. <laughs> like it's, I It's almost got some,
1: some fantasy to it a little bit.
0: Yeah, but it's not really fantasy, and, you know, and of course there's, there's you know, romance, but nah, it's not really romance. It, it, it's, um... I guess one of the reasons that this wound up at, at Lazy Fascist is Lazy Fascist kind of um, is known for taking things that that are you know non-genre stuff. I mean, that's kind of their genre, right? Yeah, the stuff that's like in between. Yeah, so I mean this this fits like a glove in in that category because it's in between seven or eight maybe <laughs> genres. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, um, and that's what. <laughs> It's Before we started recording, Livius and I were talking about. Oh yeah, this reminds me of this book and this book. And between the two of us, there were like seven different books who were completely different styles and different, mm-hmm. you know, genres and everything that the book solidly reminded of us of, and not in a in a way that it tried to mimic it, but that it just like it had those qualities that we loved about those other books.
0: Absolutely, and some of those books, some of my favorite books too. I mean, you know,
1: I thought books. you were going to name drop.
0: Oh, I, I should name drop. So uh, Doyle reminds me somewhat of um, you know, the, the main character from Apathy and Other Small Victories, which I believe it's been months since we mentioned this book. <laughs> way too long. Yeah, way <laughs> too long that we talked about Paul Nealon and uh, Shane from Apathy and Other Small Victories, but just some of his, uh, which I'm sure will come through in the quotes, because where this is first person, every quote is going to basically be yeah. from Doyle. So I'm sure you'll get some of that, but some of the you know, self-deprecating humor, some of the, you know, kind of, I don't know, simplifying things that the world makes complex, that, Mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing was just um, great. It reminded me um, somewhat of that. Um, Rob and I talked, not a book necessarily, but The Matrix, in some ways, I I think that it it had some um, relation to that type of storytelling as well. Uh, Rob threw out a few. Rob, you want to throw out a few, you thought, the.
1: Raw shark Texts, There's uh, not not the overall book raw shark Texts, but a very specific, um, really the Mycroft Ward character. Uh, <laughs> it's
0: the part with the sharks. And the, the part with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was the rawness, not the sharks. Uh, uh, very reminiscent of the Mycroft Ward character, um, and just like uh, the idea of of there's a, a mysterious, um, thing you're fighting. And it does not take place in the reality that you grew up with. So, like, not only are you in a situation where you're up against something, but you're up against something that defies everything that you've known before. So, it kind, of a, kind of a feeling like that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, but I definitely
1: get the feeling that it's a little bit Lovecraftian, too. I'm sure. Like, well, I mean, the the big evil overlord god kind of thing mm-hmm. Yep. yeah I'm guessing yeah I mean repairman Jack and some of the
0: not so much Jack himself but some of the things he was up against I, which, which were you know I think based on some Lovecraft kind of stuff but yeah I mean just a lot of a lot of stuff from, you know, it, it just, and that's the whole thing. It's not, I don't want people to mistake it. And I know you, you qualified it, but I want to re-qualify it again. It's not that I think that it's a mimic or a copy or, or anything. It's just that there's some great stuff out there. And he managed to, through the course of his story, I don't even think it was, you know, purposely, um, but, you know, managed to capture some of the best elements of, of some underrated in some cases and, and, and you know, maybe under understood I don't want to say misunderstood but you know right. great quality stuff I mean say we talk about apathy all we want it's not a big deal to, to most people most people aren't familiar with it you know I mean you could talk about I guess the matrix I guess that was kind of big right I mean I saw it it had to be big
1: <laughs> probably was pretty big
0: <laughs> but you know some elements from some other things that aren't necessarily mainstream or that a lot of people are familiar with
1: yeah do you want to do some quotes? I got a ton of quotes.
0: Yeah, I've got pages and pages of quotes. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll jump into one right away. Um, <laughs> this is just great. The first pill tasted distinctly of human blood, but I chose to write off the flavor as a mix of ocean water and barbecue sauce.
1: <laughs> um, first sentence from chapter one. Now, there was like an introduction chapter, so this wasn't like the very first thing you read in the book. But this is the first thing you read of like the continual like the story continuity. Um, so again, I'm liking like the the starting of books lately. No one chooses to become a banker; it just happens, like cancer, and then you try to live with it for as long as you can.
0: Um. So at one point, he's talking about a a, a musician, and who's, who's very very popular. He's a, a drummer. It says, uh, those fucking drums popping, exploding, insisting on their place at the center of your skull. The rhythms and tones swirled in a way that sunk right into your guts. You were nodding your head three
1: seconds before one of those songs even started. Nice. Mm-hmm. I've got two back-to-back because one complements the other. Um, this is in the... Uh, the book has a couple different parts to it. The f- first part's called The Fuck It Tsunami. <laughs> and... Um, I had my share of why-nots, but my time as primary compliance officer had me riding a tsunami wave of fuckets. Following that is um, this quote that I just love. If you want to destroy... This is him talking about um, bringing down his company, I think. If you want to destroy a wasp nest, you approach slowly at the cool of dusk with the right poison in hand. What you don't do is wait until the hive is wide awake, chug a jar of moonshine until you're blind, strip naked, cover yourself in alarm pheromones, and bum rush the nest with your bare fists. Doing that kind of thing might create a mess you can't fix. It's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And that's, you know, it, it's, there are parts in this, even though they're funny, they're really, really insightful. And, and not to say that insightful doesn't belong in this book, just to say that it's surprising that when you have a book about giant monsters cracking skulls and eating brains insight isn't exactly what you expect to find in its pages right I mean that's not you wouldn't be surprised if it right. wasn't there you know what was lacking from this book <laughs> lots of life insight Here's here's some great insight there's no such thing as all the money and drugs you could ever need that's because of the need part and how that only disappears once life is extinguished The money buys the drugs. The drugs work harder and harder to trick your blackened dopamine receptors into giving a damn about living. At some point, you make a choice. Fight your need the rest of your goddamn long-suffering life or fill your need until it disappears into the grave with you. What I had for those last three blasted-out weeks was a more logical variation, more money and drugs than I ever should have had. Yeah,
1: that's good. Mm -hmm. Here's one about his turtle. Talking about his, his empty life. I had my turtle deckered, but his lifestyle consisted of sunbathing, eating goldfish, and somehow I just knew this, silently judging me while I masturbated. I had taken to covering his tank with a thin blanket, but still, he knew.
0: Yeah, the turtle, although not throughout most of the book an active <laughs> character. Um, definitely. Hey. Um, yeah, d- yeah. Uh, what else is there to say? The turtle is awesome.
1: That was... So there's this one part, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there's this one part where like um escape is necessary and he's got his turtle in a little travel case and the the internal imperative to not leave the turtle behind in the face of like insane danger reminded me of like <laughs> like irrationalities we'd read in other books like um there's this one scene from the book Frank Sinatra and a Blunder by Matthew McBride that is burned in my brain because of how hilarious it is. It was like these two guys just killed someone in a house and they're fleeing the scene and they're running like to their car uh, holding their guns and each of them had a Bloody Mary. <laughs> that was good. So Doyle is, um, he, he
0: just got home and he has to kind of change quickly. So um, I'll to jump in. Mid paragraph here again. Ditch the chemical douse blood splattered work shirt for a gray tee and black hoodie. Replaced the khakis with jeans. Snugged a baseball cap low on my head and caught a vision of myself in the mirror. I'd expected Mission Impossible, but was instead <laughs> startled to see an emaciated tweaker was robbing my place. I waved. He waved back. <laughs> Christ. Uh,
1: I, that's one of the ones I have too. It's fucking brilliant, man. <laughs> um. More on the lighter side. Dude, you broke your dick's neck. <laughs> Damn, if you threw that thing, it would come right back to you. <laughs> Hilarious. Oh my Hilarious. god. Here's
0: here's just, a, again, just a quick insightful life tip. Confidence was not the same thing as reason.
1: Yeah. There was this part in the book where uh, it was when, it was building into his, like, kind of mania and paranoia when he was, like, full tilt into, like, doing tons of drugs and and still working at his bank and trying to take it down, he was convinced that, like, the government or the man or whoever, whatever uh, agencies out there were, were trying to out to get him uh, were, like, monitoring everything he did. So he started doing these just weird, random things to throw them off. <laughs> and this is probably my favorite of those. Went to the Save Mart and spent $100 on baby carrots. Abandon those carrots in the jewelry section at Macy's. Great stuff. Um, to give you an idea
0: of, I was debating on, you know, how much we we're going to talk about this when I marked this, but I thought there's some. Much like you, Rob mentioned the raw shark text, There's always kind of that, that story outside the story that's just hinted at. That's that's really really cool, and there's 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 a bit of that in this book. So at one point, um, some people in the know and Doyle are kind of talking, and they're uh, they're they're talking about other things that are going on in their, I say it loosely, their organization. Our other two local operatives are currently on loan to Los Angeles. Investigating a new kind of film projector, which causes us
1: great concern. That's
0: that line really cool. alone could spawn another hundred pages in this book.
1: Yeah. Once you get down to like all the really fucked up shit that's actually being done, mm-hmm. you're like, that could be a book. That could be a book. That could be a book. Yeah.
0: It's, uh, yeah. it's
1: amazing. And like I said, it's sometimes it's those little things
0: that can create... A much bigger feel to a story. Yeah. And, and all it takes is, you know, six of those lines spread out throughout the book and, and you kinda get this vision of how much bigger a story exists outside of the story yeah. that you're reading.
1: Yeah, it really it does a lot to it implies scope. It's like forcing perspective mm-hmm. almost. Yep. Um There's <laughs> a quick one. Oh, uh before I forget, um the whole like when you get into that side of things. Another feel of, like, what the book felt like was... Did you ever watch the TV show Dollhouse?
0: Um, I tried. I watched the first couple episodes. It just wasn't... Yeah. Didn't resonate with me.
1: I loved it. it. had a Dollhouse feel in as much as, like, there was... Um, like, on the grander scale, um, people, like, hijacking minds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, not necessarily in the same, you know, way. Actually, this is going to be my final quote. This is... Um, Actually, I've gone through everything except for because Olivia stole one of mine. Um, and this is, like, one of the more tender moments. She could have pulled the trigger at any point, and when she didn't, I realized that I loved her too.
0: I really like that line a lot. Actually, a lot, a um,
1: lot. It's really good. And I have one more, and this, was, this mm. is not really a quote, but there's a moment. Man, fuck, I can't say it. There's a moment that I can't tell you because it is, like, so just powerfully spoiling uh, like really important parts of the book but he his, his constant devotion to his turtle um, sh- shines through even at the end of the book where he does something that um, that uh, any one of us usually wouldn't do but he did it because you know he did it for his turtle and, and until you read it you won't understand what I'm saying but like once the fish thing happens toward the end, um you realize like it was like this tender moment that you didn't expect and it really just kind of like tied a nice bow on on the whole like this person is is a human that you know we can identify with and he has redeeming qualities and stuff like that. Oh humans and their pesky redeeming qualities. I know. I try to get rid of as many of mine as possible. There's um there's a longer part that I it actually kinda of made me laugh out loud.
0: They're they're um, interrogating somebody who um, English is a second language to them and just barely. <laughs> just goddamn hilarious. But there's a line in there where um, Doyle says, Dara looked at me, shaking her head. Never before had the threat of
1: violence yielded less information. <laughs> this is fucking brilliant, man. Holy shit, brilliant. I gotta give it up for him. Like he, he wrote this book really, really well. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's here's a nice visual for some of
0: the gorier parts. I don't think we we fairly covered how gory this book can be. Uh, one, it only stopped once his esophagus prolapsed and hung from his mouth like a massive cow's tongue. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, God. Yeah, I can yeah, just keep going. yeah you have no. I, I still have probably like eight or so. I'm just trying to see if there's anything else in there. There's um there's a character. I don't I don't think we mentioned him, but um, Buddy the Brain. Yeah. So, to give you an idea of what's possible in the near future, and, and I'll, I'll set this up a little bit, Buddy's fucking nuts. And part of the reason he's nuts is because his brain is actually in a box he carries around with him. It's extreme body modification. <laughs> uh, and he's a celebrity, be- mostly because of a, a reality TV show that he's on for people with extreme body modifications. So... Um, But there's just, again, this great line. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to set this up. Uh, He's saying, maybe somebody loved Buddy. Maybe he loved his paycheck. Regardless, he could form coherent ideas and never tried to turn into a bird. So he felt like a much stronger resource. (laughs) Because Buddy (laughs) is not entirely there. But yeah, just, just the... Yeah. Now the wit is. I'm going to stop there. I have several more, but I think that we've given a fair represent representation, representation, whatever that word is, of, of the kind of writing that you're going to get in this.
1: I would hope so. That was a lot of quotes. Um, want me to start the wrap ups? Yes, please. Uh, we had previously read uh, "We Live Inside You," the collection of short stories by Jeremy Rosberg Johnson. Had you read "Angel Dust Apocalypse," Libby? Um, I have. But okay. I read it after we read. Yes. Okay. But yes, I have. So. Yeah. For me, all I've read was the We Live Inside You collection um, and dug it a lot. Um, I would say that that book, um, first of all, short story, so different format, different idea behind it. But second of all, that book was a lot more grotesque, which is saying something because there's some weird, messed up stuff that happens in this book, but it's not like overpowering. Um, some of the quotes that we gave. Probably indicate that you know there's some messed up things in this book, but really, the majority of it is following uh, Doyle and and just kind of tumbling along through life with this really messed up thing that happens to him. Um, the overall impression I have of the book is just how incredibly well written it was. Um, I found myself just falling in love with like you know sentence after sentence, like paragraphs were so well done the dialogue was great everything was so i mean it was entertaining and this this is entertaining on a level that would challenge like david james keaton which is a very large thing to say but but johnson wrote a very entertaining book but he didn't sacrifice anything so it still had really good story well-developed characters um and and it was a it was a wholly original piece um i mean i don't really think there's (laughs) much more i can say about it uh it might be a little much for for someone who's who's got a very light stomach, just because there's some gross things that happen, and you know, um, lots of talk about masturbation, and you know, deformed penises due to over masturbation. Um, but realistically, I mean, the book is just it's it's a gem. It's a really really well written piece, incredibly entertaining, and and just well put together. I think. Um, because Johnson is the, the head guy at Swallowdown Press, he'd been a publisher and probably an editor so long that that's why um, it took like something like nine years for this book to come out. But I think it benefited from that time because it is so polished and so uh, well-assembled. That um, I mean, I'm glad that um, if the time that it took to make this book helped, I'm glad for it because it's just really, really, really well put together definitely without question a five star book
0: yeah I'm gonna sound gonna be a little redundant I guess um we have a book that touches on you know so many different genres and does it all so well and brings it together so goddamn seamlessly none of it seems forced um god even not knowing what to expect other than the what the hell did I just read for a second you know I mean it fits right into the story and just so much brilliant so we talked a lot about how funny it is and how well written it is but it's also really well researched too which I don't think is something we touched upon so the the bank stuff when they get into it even though I don't understand bank stuff all seemed very um, you know, well put together very you know researched or, or written by somebody who was knowledgeable about those things with a book like this where you're making things up, it's really easy to just chalk things up and say, oh, this is this is just this because it's magic, because it's, it's what it is and we don't understand it because it's otherworldly or supernatural or whatever. But even really late in the book where a lot of books kind of start to, for me, lose their steam a little bit, you get into that third quarter where it gets a little slumpy, like you're kind of waiting for the end. There's a backstory told about a character, um, and all of it... Is so goddamn believable, and it's a bunch of weird science stuff, but it all comes across as really, you know, intelligent or, or well-researched, and when I say well-researched, I'm thinking most of it isn't true, so it's not research, but, you know, he put a lot of time into creating something that was very readable and believable, where he could have said, this guy did bad things you know to, to to people and and because they needed this thing and you, know, you could have called it magic or could have called it whatever you know and he didn't instead he came up with this narration for somebody's basically their life story that was very well put together so genre hopping funny at times um endearing in others very believable very big scope for a, a not very big book um, one of the things we didn't mention before, it reminded me a little bit of the same feel I got from Crooked Little Vane* by Warren Ellis. Not not that other book from Warren Ellis, Machine Gun or whatever the hell it was called. But the good Warren Ellis book, Crooked Little Vein, um, there wasn't anything not to like. I mean, I literally at one point was getting mad at myself because I couldn't find anything that didn't endear me to this book. So um, yeah, Rob's right. Uh, easy. Five stars. Easy. Very easy.
1: <laughs> Gun machine. <laughs>
0: So, what the hell is. Yeah, that thing was terrible.
1: Uh, Poor Warren Ellis. Um, Yeah, yeah. poor Warren Ellis. (laughs) Or whatever. Great. Dude, Skullcrack City, man. Good, good fucking book. Very happy with it. I am too.
0: Like I said, I don't know what I was expecting, but I got to tell you, it wasn't this. And I'm glad. You know, because I can't imagine what in my head I was expecting would have been this good
1: if right? That makes sense i, I yeah. agree you know what else i wasn't expecting hmm. a new book in the millennium series <laughs>
0: yeah well um yeah I, how did that sneak up on us because you and i were talking about the show and this isn't <laughs> new news this is old news that became big news this week so later this year we are going to see Another Lizbeth Saland, Salander. Sal- Salander. Salander. To really talk about him? Salander. Is Salander.
1: I don't know Salander. Lizbeth. We're gonna
0: see book four in the Millennium trilogy.
1: If you don't Do know, you know what, what the I Millennium trilogy is, yeah. <laughs> girl with the dragon tattoo, girl who kicked the hornet's nest, and uh, girl who played with fire. I don't know if that's the right order, but that's what the books are. Yeah. So Stieg Larson
0: wrote these books um, prior to his death. And now we are going to see fan fiction from his publisher.
1: Yeah. And Livia says fan fiction because uh, if you don't know the story, I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast, but probably like two and a half years ago. um, At the time of his death, Larson had um, he had a plan for 10 books, but he hadn't Mm -hmm. written 10 books. He'd written more than the three that were published. Um, whether they were all, like, intact or not is, is not completely clear. At least I don't remember who it is. But what what ended up happening was he had a longtime girlfriend who was not his wife. Um, and he has a family who, you know, legally has a claim to his estate. The girlfriend got kind of screwed on the whole thing. She's got the manuscripts, uh, but is fighting the family, and I'm assuming the publisher as well, right? Yep. And so there's this kind of ongoing, like, it's almost like a Courtney Love Battle with like uh, Nirvana for like unpublished things is kind of similar to that, but in this case, the woman's not a crazy bitch. Um, well, hold
0: on. <laughs> we don't know that she's not a crazy she
1: doesn't bitch. seem like We're a making crazy bitch. no, she doesn't.
0: She seems like she's very well put together. Uh,
1: so so that's not the stuff that Steve Larson wrote is not what's being released. What's being released is a new book by a different author. Fan fiction. Which, it's not canon. And this is what this, Livius will, will definitely put his foot down. Um, the author is... David. Hang on, my f- page is refreshed. Fan Fictioner. <laughs> I think you're right. His name is David Fan Fictioner. Fuck, man. Uh, <laughs> so while you're looking, let me explain. And here's my reasoning. <laughs> If Stieg Larson died,
0: and that was it, there were three books, and, and the, the, the people demanded more, and the publisher said, well, we own the rights, so we're going to hire someone to do it, it's fine. You know what? That, that It is what it is. Somewhere there exist pages, and in my understanding, if I remember correctly, lots of pages of a continuation of the Lizbeth story. Um uh-huh. hmm that's the other thing too and i'd have to do a little bit more research but i'm pretty sure that he always saw lizbeth kind of going off on her own if i remember correctly and um what's the other guy's name michael something that's um
1: uh oh the character
0: yeah um blumquist yes so michael blumquist with a weird v in there that that doesn't get pronounced i guess he um, is also going to be a character in this book, and I get the feeling that it's kind of... I, I get the feeling they have no
1: idea where Stieg was going with this and that they're just throwing some shit together, so... Yeah. Um, to illustrate that, uh, in December 2013, the Swedish publisher Norstets announced that a fourth millennium book to be published in August 2015 will be written by David Lagerkrantz. Larson's partner, Ava Gabrielson Gabrielsson? Had voice criticism criticism against the project, which will not use the unpublished material, which is still in her possession. Like the previous novels in English language, oh, that's the boring part. Um, the draft was reported as finished by Krantz in January 2015. That's why it popped back up on our radar. December 2013 was when it was like announced. It just popped up now because the the draft just got finished. Um, here's the shit part. Uh, <laughs> The Swedish title is, insert Swedish noises here, uh, literally translated, That Which Does Not Kill Us, which uh, is probably the worst title for a book that I could ever imagine. And it doesn't have the girl, uh, girl part, you know?
0: How did they miss that opportunity to tie this together? Because here's what I'm thinking. If I walked into um, a bookstore, and let's say I don't know, and I'm sure it'll be... David Lazar Krantz whatever the hell his name is you know and it'll be Stieg Larson's yeah. Lizbeth or Stieg Larson's whatever how did they not call it like the girl who got written into some fan fiction or
1: <laughs> the girl who the girl who was created author.
0: by the author that died so and someone else is writing this book I mean just
1: to get people's attention to throw the girl the girl who with... sucked really bad in the fourth book
0: yeah exactly so I, I don't I don't know what's happening there Chances are we'll probably review it. We'll read it so you don't have to. We'll be bitter Um, about it. Oh, and angry. Here's the whole thing. Maybe it'll be really good. But I can tell you, um, this guy only spent less than two years working on it. I didn't get the impression that either one of those books was written by the creator in that amount of time.
1: Oh, no. I'm sure it was a really, really long process. Yeah, so... Unless this guy... And this guy's a biographer... I don't know if I mentioned that to you before, but, um,
0: Oh yeah. Cause the thing he's like best known for is like writing the biography of like a soccer
1: player. Yeah. Zlatan Ibramovich. Ibrahimovic. Can we review that too? The, the, no. the biography of Zlatan Ibramovich. Yeah, exactly. Just so I can hear you trying to say that. Ibramovich. Oh, that'll be the one where Rob
0: definitely reads the synopsis. So, um, so yeah, I mean it's it's disappointing.
1: That's um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, you could call it an outrage. One could call it a complete outrage, a sin against an abortion of justice. <laughs> an abortion of justice. That's yeah. So
0: look for that later this year. Um. Uh, oh, but you know what? While we were talking, I decided. I mentioned Crooked Little Vein and, and Gun Machine, whatever that abomination was called. Um, you know he's got Warren Ellis has a book coming out later this year too, so we're we gonna go back to the Warren Ellis um, pool for
1: one more time. Wait, Warren Ellis, wait. Hold, hold the phone. What, what's going on with Warren Ellis? No, he's got a book coming out later this year. Oh, I did see that, but I, I think yeah. I blocked it out of my mind. Are we gonna it's go called? For, Normal. Are we gonna, are we gonna go for it? I, I crooked little vein is probably in my top. Ten books yeah. i've ever read here's the thing we gave daniel h wilson and his bullshit robot books three tries oh yeah, that's so that's, that's very we, very true if we cut and run on warren ellis i think we're doing a disservice to everybody yeah i'm having trouble trying to figure out if this is a young adult book
0: and the reason i say that is it doesn't have the oh maybe hold on maybe, I maybe it, it takes here. place
1: in central illinois because it's called normal
0: Oh, no, never mind. It Well, it says normal, and it's it, the the font they use is so bad that they actually have to write it in underneath an actual font. <laughs> but the problem is in the small little picture, it says normal, and that says slash a novel, and I thought the slash was part of a Y. Mm. So I thought it was a, a YA novel. Um any rate, so November 3rd um, will be, uh, or right around then, we'll be reviewing normal by Warren uh, Ellis. We'll be reviewing the girl whose book series got ruined by a publisher um by that guy, Michael Stans and current, whatever, whatever his name is David, some
1: shit. Blogger, Langer hands. Fucking whatever.
0: <laughs> Fuck that guy. I'm, I'm mad at that guy and you know what, the guy was like, yeah, I'll take 30,000 fucking euro or whatever and write this book for you. Um, yep, that's August. Yeah, see, so we've got plenty of stuff um coming up. Uh, do we do we have anything more more uh, more more near? So is that is that it? Are we
1: uh, less than hero? As long as Livius doesn't lose it, uh, will be reviewed in May. I still know exactly where that is. <laughs> yeah, you thought that about the fucking last book. I put I made like the lost dog style posters for our copy of Big Egos that got lost. Never let you yeah. live that down. Um, well, know. here's the thing: Are you talking about are you talking about next episode? Is that what you were? I was talking to? about next episode. Yeah,
0: um,
1: it's my turn to do a throwback suggestion, and so um, Livius and I were talking a little bit earlier about what would be a good uh, another throwback. So we did the throwback, which was um, "Night in Lonesome October," right? hmm By Richard Layman. Richard Layman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both really dug that book. And I was cruising through my Goodreads just to see what might be a good idea um, for another throwback. And I was like, oh, there's some easy ones. Like, I'd love to read raw shark texts and have a good conversation about that on the podcast. But then I, I was struck. It was so obvious that this was an excellent choice for a book to review that, um, that we, we immediately agreed that the next book we're going to review is going to be a throwback. And it is the book Perfume. By Patrick, what is it, Suskind? Suskind.
0: I'm going to go with Suskind, yeah.
1: Patrick Suskind. Perfume.
0: Should I, should I read the synopsis for people? Because, you know, even if I read the book, I'm reading synopses from now on, so I'm not caught <laughs> off guard. Do it. In the slums of 18th century France, the infant Jean-Baptiste Grenouille is born with one sublime gift, an absolute sense of smell. As a boy, he lives to decipher the odors of Paris and apprentices himself to a prominent perfumer who teaches him the ancient art of mixing precious oils and herbs. But um, genius is such that he is not satisfied to stop there, and he becomes obsessed with capturing the smells of objects such as brass doorknobs and fresh-cut wood. Then one day he catches a hint of a scent that will drive him on an ever more terrifying quest to create the ultimate perfume, the scent of a beautiful young virgin." This sounds like a book that would be, like, like just reading that, you'd think, like, oh, when they make the movie, which they made a movie, and I think that the movie was also excellent, um, you'd think, like, oh, you can get Jim Carrey to play the guy with the nose that can detect anything, like, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's how it
1: reads. This is one dark motherfucking book. It's really dark. Yeah. I think it, the protagonist's name is Granouille. Yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, granule. Gran- Granule, but yeah, whatever. Granouille. We're probably gonna call him Jean a lot.
1: Well, he's referred like, to as grunt. You'll watch the you'll watch the movie, and then you'll oh, see how they true. say yeah, it, I and that's how you'll my, say it. Yep. yep. So yeah,
0: because it's so, narrated. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it. This is a, one of my uh, favorite books. Again, probably my top twenty books. I, I have not reread this one, so uh, I'm uh I'm very very excited. German though, that's translated from the German. Oh, that's weird. And no, maybe
1: so. yeah. the the thing about this book that Livius warned me about because he read it before I did was that there's so little dialogue that it is such a dense book. It's it's a little over 200 pages, so it's not a huge book, but like it is just nonstop descriptors. So it's 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 really dense to get through. Yeah, but uh, good it? stuff. I'm looking
0: forward to reading it again. Um, that's going to be our uh, next episode. uh are we going to read the Fight Club comic book?
1: I don't know, man. I mean... We haven't liked anything, Chuck Palahniuk, that we've read since we did this podcast, except for Invisible Monsters Remix.
0: That's true, which was really, really kind of the first throwback episode, if you think about it. Kind of. It was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, hmm. I mean, there's probably going to be a lot to talk about there. I imagine that a good portion of our listening audience is going to be interested in that. So we'll have to see if we
1: do yeah. that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not against it. It's just that Chuck Palahniuk is not... We're not doing that other one that he just did, Beautiful You. We're not no. doing that. Hey, do you want to go see him? He's coming to Chicago. No. No? Okay. <laughs> just, just no... If anybody in the Chicago Land area is looking for a date to go see Chuck Polinick, I'm totally available. <laughs> Here's my problem with going to a Chuck Polnik event. It's not mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with Chuck Polinick. It has to do with it has to do with the fucking like eight thousand people that are gonna show up to a puck Chuck Polinick event. Like it's just oh, gonna be a giant true. crowd of assholes. That's probably true.
0: Yeah, I may have to rethink that. I, I was thinking along the lines of, like, you know, the Christopher Moore thing we went to in Milwaukee. Like, uh, what was that, maybe 150 people? Yeah. I mean, all, all pretty polite. I mean, you know, it, was, it wasn't bad at all. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll touch base with uh, some of the people here on the podcast who are friends of the podcast who got to read with Chuck and see what those crowds were like at these most well, recent
1: we were talking Well, we were talking to Venturini. I think he said he had, like, 1,000 people. That's fucking nuts, man. Here's what we do. We get we get on the horn with Dennis Woodmere, see if he can get us like a VIP exclusive meet meet and greet. That would just be. be like, uh, do do you know Dennis? Yeah, I mean oh. I met him in Seattle really briefly. Oh nice! And we're Facebook friends. Oh well. <laughs>
0: Jesus so, I mean, Christ, man. We're Facebook <laughs> you guys are related. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. What else do you want? Yeah, um, I, just be um, like we don't need a lot of time. Thirty seconds to a minute, just like a quick hey, Chuck, handshake. That's it. That's all I want. Have you seen his? Uh, have you seen his movie? Speaking of which, Dennis's movie. Sorry, guys. Yes, I may have watched it just the day before yesterday. What did you think? I fucking loved it.
0: It is uh, I, again. I've really got to stop going into shit without having any clue. Cause I really had no idea. I was like, oh, it's like this horror movie. I think. Um, really interesting. My my initial instinct though, and and I think that's I don't know. My initial instinct was like, eh, like I don't know how I felt about it. But now it's been a couple of weeks, and every time I see someone share the you know the the, the jacket to the the DVD or yep. the T-shirt or whatever, the more I think about it, the more I think I need to revisit it. Because in my mind, I'm starting to like it a lot more than I did after I was done watching it. Which sometimes I think says more for a movie than initially liking right. it. Like it
1: has yeah. it stuck with you. Yeah, it's good. It was a good movie. I I, I easily recommend it to anybody who wants to watch a. Like a weird movie, not necessarily it's a scary. Definitely movie. weird. It's weird. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I was just expecting like your straight up horror, and that's why I said when I got that, I was like, oh, "What the? What is this?"
1: So, yeah, it's good. I like so, that yeah. ending. I'll tell you that. The ending, yes. Yeah. Exactly. All Very right. Good.
0: Um. We we
1: have nothing else. We're done. Yeah. That's it. So come back next episode. We will be reading Perfume, or reviewing it. We will have already read it, hopefully. I mean, we already have read it, but you fucking understand what I'm saying. Um, we'll be talking about Perfume, and uh, I'm very excited about this. It's my throwback, which means I, I, I kind of padded it, because usually when I recommend a book, it's like an awful book, but this time we we can't really go wrong.
0: <laughs> I have to go immediately erase my Goodreads review of it. just like... <laughs> Uh, until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rebels, and keep reading.